0: Welcome to the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Day. I'm Brittany Lombas. I'm James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassenen. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp, Swamp Flicks. Flicks. I just saw y'all the other day, but I feel like we did not hang out at all. It was like the most efficient movie screening yeah. <laughs> experience that we've had in a, in a good while.
1: <laughs> Wait, what did we go see? <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, everyone came to my house. We watched oh, an Ernst right. Lubitsch yeah, yeah, movie
1: yeah, yeah. and everyone okay. left. And there was like
2: no... <laughs> discussion yeah. no banter There's no, no hanging out <laughs> i mean yeah we just yeah. really got down to business yeah i
1: mean Lubich is a, he's a serious director oh yeah you know
2: no laughs for the rest of this episode <laughs> do you think this podcast gets
0: in the way of our friendship <laughs> Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> all right here, here's why i'm asking because like we'll go out or or we will see a movie together and it's like i'm gonna hold my thoughts on that you know save yeah oh totally that's right we do say save it for the pod oh, totally. that's that's
1: true. That's true. Right.
0: <laughs> But would he have motivation to be in the same room without the podcast is the other question.
2: Well, it's especially hard because like me and Hannah are in a relationship and live together. And we (laughs) have that same struggle. We're like, let's save it for the pod. (laughs) We're really getting into too much detail here.
3: It's almost like pre-podding though. Like that way, by the time the pod happens, like you've kind of hashed out a lot of stuff and you're like oh yeah i I think i really want to talk about this instead like it's almost like you're you know kind of going through a process
1: right you're like chewing on it and and you can right you can get through kind of like the beginning processing and get to the meat
3: you're
0: like soft launching your takes
1: What
3: (laughs) uh, what was the director
0: we did last time
3: Oh, um, Terrence Malick. Terrence Malick. We're doing Malick. a Terrence Malick method, right? You just like, here's fucking everything. <laughs> oh, that's right. And now I'm going to like
1: play it out, pick the thing.
3: That's what we need that... to do.
0: Okay, Malick method. I'm going to put those cheap lavalier mics, uh, I you know, foolishly purchased yeah. on everybody, record every 12 hours oh <laughs> of loose discussion, and then figure it out in That post. would be but, such but chaos. You're
2: going to spend like two years yeah. editing one episode of <laughs> <Right>. the podcast,
1: <laughs> 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 it's almost ready. I would love that like you you record us while we're watching the movie together and having our little comments post discussion. We have to be mic'd until we record the podcast so any thought we have is right. recorded and it's just all mushed i mean that I would be that. something
0: and then Brittany's edited out entirely just like a whole character lost in the edit <laughs> right
1: shit <laughs> britney right. thought
0: she was part right. of this podcast but you're not <laughs> she,
4: she's gone <laughs> all
0: right no more dunking on malik we are moving on to a director <laughs> we actually like in unison yes. this week uh but before we get to uh, lubich what else have y'all been watching lately
1: So, I feel like the last few weeks I've talked about these, like, very old movies. So, I wanted to talk about a new movie that I saw. Um, I went to go see Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. It's the follow-up to um, Into the Spider-Verse, which I think came out in 2017 or 2018. So, it was done by the Sony Animation Studio. And it's that same, like, kind of painterly style that's been... Uh, gaining traction over the, like, almost hyper-real, like, cartoony Pixar style. Um, So the idea is that there are all of these, like, portals opening up across multiverses and, like, transporting different people to places that they don't belong. There's this, like, spider coalition that's formed to, like, correct these anomalies, um and uh miles morales is the spider-man of this of this series he's the one that is the main focus of the movie and he like really wants to see gwen stacy who's in a different universe she wants to see him um and they uh eventually kind of cross paths after this like this villain comes into prominence, who's also like kind of related to this multiverse stuff and uh there eventually miles is taken to this like coalition of all of these wild spiders, so there are a bunch of universes in this film, and they all have different animation styles, so all of those animation styles like really explode together, and it's similar to the first one, but like even more um like vis- it's just like a visual roller coaster. it's so so fun. And it's, like, just really inventive and beautiful. Um, There are lots of, like, callbacks to the Spider-Man comics, but you don't need to have read the comics to enjoy the visual style. And there's a lot of heart in the Miles Morales story, too, because he, like, feels like he doesn't really belong as Spider-Man. He's also, like, trying to find his way in the world and balance his superhero responsibilities with, like, being a good son and being a part of his community so i just like really really love this movie i went to the theater alone and like had a total blast uh it became the number one greatest film of all time on letterbox (laughs) which which is like it just came out and that's good troll bait yeah oh my god it was i just like really enjoyed reading all of the comments from like angry like Film bros who are like, this isn't as good as Goodfellas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, I, I, didn't, come on, like, give me a break. But anyway, it was like a whole lot of fun. And then I did also see Sorcerer at the theater. Hell yeah. And it was, I had never seen it before. Um, and I think, I think y'all have talked about Sorcerer on the podcast. Probably it's William Friedkin. We did
0: a top five Friedkins. I would assume that made the cut. I yeah. Don't know. It's been years.
1: Yeah. So it's like the adaptation of, I think, Georges Arnault's uh, novel, The Salary of Fear. And it's, there was another like film adaptation of that novel, The Wages, Wages of, of Fear. Fear. Yeah. yeah, but he meant it as like an adaptation of the novel. But so there's like lots of explosions, like huge tension. They're transporting these crates of dynamite through the jungle, and it's really unstable. So like the slightest... Um, disturbance is gonna blow it all up and it was just incredible to watch it in the theater like I am just so high on these repertory uh showings at Britannia like I'm so glad that that was my first viewing experience um that bridge scene was mm-hmm. uh bananas yeah
0: I thought about that movie a lot during how to blow up a pipeline too oh really which will be coming up on this podcast yeah soon. yeah incredibly tense stuff or like the smallest
2: movement could just blow yeah. the whole thing up.
0: Uh, and oh then the
2: score by Tangerine yeah. Dream. Oh, fuck yeah. So cool. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was great to like, like, it was a completely immersive experience with like the electronic music and just like sweat rolling down these men's faces as they're trying to like navigate through the jungle. So yeah, it just had some great... Uh, movie theater experiences.
0: That was Wildwood. Yeah, that was Wildwood. Okay, cool. And, and they did the Wanda screening. We went. Yeah, they
1: did. Time. I don't. I'm not sure what they're doing next week, but I think the or this coming week, but the week after, I believe they're showing Cabaret.
0: Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, cool. So
1: very cool stuff. Uh, but Brittany, what have you been watching? Um, I
3: have really been getting into some based on a true story movies. Um, I watched Reality. Oh, cool. cool! About reality winner, I still can't believe that's that girl's yeah. real name. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know why I watched it because I normally don't gravitate towards movies like that because I'm like, oh, this shit's gonna be so boring. Like an FBI raped. <laughs> I feel like Sydney
0: Sweeney's the hook, right? <laughs>
3: yeah, I, yeah, that was it. Because I'm like, interesting that she's doing something right. like this. So I'm like, let me let me put this on and. <laughs> I thought I was going to throw up. It was so tense. (laughs) Um, It is like verbatim. The like the script is 100 percent like the FBI recording of them like raiding her Augusta, Georgia apartment to Mm -hmm. look for like these classified documents that she had. Um, But it starts off like really slow but it doesn't feel so. It's like them just being like, hey, uh, do you know why we're here? Can we talk? Do you have a, a dog in the house? Do you want to go put your dog in the yard? Mm. Are you sure you want to go put your dog in the yard? Maybe we could put it in the front. Oh, yeah. Let, let's. Do you have any chairs? Maybe we could put some chairs here. Do you have any chairs in your back room? Why don't we use that back room for chairs? Like It was a lot of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But her being like she starts off like very just like nonchalant about everything like yeah do what you gotta do whatever and there's like you know pokemon bed sheets like i'm like why are they in this girl's house but she was like in the air force and she's like a veteran at this point and she's working like i think like as a contract worker for i can't i don't remember the agency but she's proficient in like farsi so she does like a lot of document translation And essentially what happened was there was this thing that the office she worked for would send out called The Pulse, which is something they would just send out to all the employees there to be like, here's shit that's happening. And it was about um, Russian intervention in the 2016 election. So like she saw that come through and I think she was just like fed up with everything and she like printed it out and like leaked it and she went to jail for a pretty long time i think like over five years for it
0: sounds Um, like a reality loser to me (laughs) (laughs) sorry
3: (laughs) sorry reality winner um so yeah it it was really good and you kind of you kind of like get like a idea of how like these fbi agents like work and how they try to like break people down and like what their methods are and like how they like are really you know meticulous and they use certain words or like how they start um, their interrogations and then when it gets really hard, like how they keep pushing without like pissing that person off. Yeah. It yeah. was it was cool. I cool.
2: love interrogation stuff. You would love yeah. that movie. Like, f- forcing false confessions is like fascinating to me not that she gave a false confession but just the interrogation yeah method. i would
3: probably do it i would totally give a false confession like what do you want me to say just so you could shut up and get out of my face right. i'm freaking out
1: leave me alone yeah exactly yeah i really like sydney sweeney i saw her in i haven't seen euphoria but i saw the first season of white lotus and oh, she she's was like idea. yeah she's really i don't know she she's just got like a really interesting presence um so when i saw she was in that film i was like i was hooked into it yeah i like her and she,
3: i've I've seen euphoria with her in it and she's chaotic in there But oh, yeah, yeah. Like she's
0: a, like a live wire like raw emotion yeah, yeah
3: right but she like that whole show is like just depressing where i'm like i don't even think i can like watch it again <laughs> i'm like it's just sad that these are all like kids
0: i just don't see what like leaked documents involving like presidential elections has to do with like life right now and how that might be relevant to like the news cycle or
2: i mean like yeah classified documents are kind of in the news they are right <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> the timing of that is very interesting
0: that it like popped up on hbo max right. like the same week as the yeah, uh, other it's thing it's
1: almost like that was leaked
0: oh make shit <laughs> a
2: year that ago conspiracy it kind
3: of feels strange where i'm like so something that we all know now put this girl in prison right. like it kept making yeah. me i just felt so strange where i'm like someone make it make sense right. and i'm like this was like one of those dorky things that they just sent out to everyone in the agency to be like hey the more you know like and she printed like i
0: don't know also isn't like the play you might have already said this and i apologize but like the play is like based off of the actual transcripts yeah so that what you're hearing on screen is like public record
3: and they layer over the actual recording sometimes over the dialogue right
0: so like that's even like out there and in the public now it's
3: weird yeah it is so weird and Mm -hmm. they show like photos from like they'll flash back to photos of like the real life yeah interrogation it's wild So I watched another based on a true story movie that was so fucking, like, trashy, but not in a good way. Um, (laughs) Savage Grace from 2007. It's about Barbara Bakelite and her incestuous relationship with her gay son that resulted in her murder.
2: What's Hey-o. what? Uh, <laughs> color me intrigued.
3: <laughs> so, Julianne Moore plays Barbara Bakelite, and Barbara Bakelite was married to—I can't remember his first name. Maybe it's John Bakelite. But his family came out with like Bakelite plastics, all the Bakelite jewelry, and things like that. So they're stupid rich. And their son, played by Eddie Rain- Redmayne in this oh. movie, um, he's gay, and it's like. <sighs> she tries to flirt with him to sort of like, so like oh, I don't think he's really gay. I'm going to like come oh on to him. Oh my God. There's even like a part that like, I mean, we've, se- we've seen like all the weirdest incest shit yeah. throughout all these Swamp Flicks viewings.
0: An accidental pet fave theme on this podcast. <laughs> 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 Not on purpose. But
3: this one. <laughs> so <What? laughs> Hugh Dancy is a character in this movie and they're in Mallorca and he sleeps with her son they have this like really hot passionate night and then he sleeps with her after she's like painting and then they all have like this threesome together wow and it is insane i've never seen it in threesome like that and you don't like see the whole thing right but like you get it it was very strange and I didn't really pick up on anything else in the story. I'm like, oh, she paints. Oh, oh, she's trying to F her son. Like that's the only thing I could like focus hard to move on. on from okay. that. Yeah, yeah, it's natural. hard to focus on anything <laughs> yeah. else. Right. It's on Tubi.
0: It sounds like so Lifetime Adapting it. Tennessee Williams, you know? Like, and VC mm,
3: Andrews a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I was
0: thinking like Suddenly Last Summer or like Cat on a Hot Tin Roof or something. Yeah. yeah.
3: But I don't know. Like I didn't hate it. I was just very weirded out by it. <laughs>
2: I think it makes me a bad person that when you were like describing it as like an incest thing, I was like, yeah, yeah, that okay. sounds like something I would watch. <laughs> That'll
1: check my boxes. It's
3: Thank got, my you. Name all
2: it. got my name written <laughs> all over up it. Up it. <laughs> like,
3: yeah, well, it's well, that's why when I saw that, I'm like, oh my god, incest relationship with her like homosexual son. Like
1: this
2: yes. sounds interesting, would right? You, and then when you said Julianne Moore, uh huh, I'm in. Yeah, I'm even in.
1: deeper in. So maybe should, we
0: need maybe like like watch it. incest movie Google alert yeah. so that we're like on top of this stuff. <laughs> god <laughs> I don't think yeah, yeah ever they were gonna get reality winnered, and
3: we're the fbi is gonna come find us we need
0: a special interest on this podcast you know like we're too general discussion to like ever really right. garner an audience we could like cater to the incest crowd.
1: right we're yeah <laughs> like we're, we did with the from your community. incest film podcast
2: <laughs> <laughs> Real, wow that is our target we, market we
1: serve a, a niche community Tag but they, they're really interested
2: Sestcast.
1: cast, Cest cast <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> but when
3: you think about it there's so many movies that like i don't even purposely seek out for the incest component of it and it exists
0: well it's like the last real taboo like yeah it's something that grosses everybody out instantly so, so um, throw it hopefully in movie. it does but like yeah so uh it's an easy way to get a rise out of people i think
3: yeah i guess so so cesty so sesty. <laughs> like a seasoning. Lemon sesty. Right.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> lemon sest. shit.
3: Oh, my Lem- God. Lemon cest. incest.
0: That oh, my horrible God. Song. We got a new podcast name. <laughs> All right. Shut it down. Well, uh,
1: so, James. And we're signing off. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I'm going to pass
3: it on over to you now. Have you been watching anything incestuous?
2: Nothing incestuous. Um, Drats. <laughs> <laughs> just, sorry, guys. I know it's such a letdown. <laughs> um we went to the theater I think it was last weekend we saw the new Julia Louise Dreyfus movie you hurt mm-hmm. my feelings which uh, I love her by mm-hmm. the way so funny and this was like a really funny low stakes very n- nice sort of comedy about a writer who overhears her husband telling his friend that like that her book sucks even though he's telling her to her face like everyone would to their Partner, like oh, I love it. It's it's great. It's your somebody, best work yet. It's your best stuff. And then behind her back, he's like, "It's really bad." <laughs> oh um, God. And it really just kind of explores that subject through a bunch of different characters who are kind of dealing with the same thing of how do you tell someone that you care about and you like to be supportive and that you like the work without like hurting their feelings? And you know, is that a lie? Do we really want to hear the truth when we ask people, "What do you think of my work?" And yeah, it was like about a bunch of waspy, Mm
4: -hmm.
2: well, these people are very well off where they are all like artists living in very nice apartments in New York. Yeah. And that would kind of like be a little icky for me, but the performances are great. Everyone is very likable. It is very funny. Yeah. And it's just like low, it was a low stakes, pleasant trip to the theater. Not something you need to see like in a movie theater, You could just watch it on Amazon, but it was like a nice afternoon uh, at the theater. Yeah. And I I love her and I love a lot of the side characters in here.
1: Her sister is played by Michaela Watkins, Mm -hmm. um, who's like, I I really like her too. Like she's an actress that I see pop up in a lot of films and is always funny, Um, but I don't really like zero in on her. But yeah, it was just like very light, very pleasant. Sweet, and I had the same feeling of like, Man, I, I'm finding it a little hard to feel bad for these characters. Like, the, it's like a therapist, like interior decorator, writer, and then an actor, and they're all just kind of like struggling with like middle age ennui.
2: And like, Am I actually good at right. the thing that I've devoted my career to?
1: Yeah, but I think it does get at something fundamental, like. Like the white lies we tell to the people we love and also that like just because someone tells you a white lie doesn't mean that they don't love you or like this thing that you're holding on to like like that I'm a good writer is like that's a fraction of your personality and there are many other reasons that the people that love you love you.
2: Yeah, I'm and I'm just a sucker for like a like socially awkward faux pas Yeah, kind of romantic comedy and this like definitely hit that for me mm-hmm. so yeah i don't know i would recommend it it's not like breaking any barriers or anything you know but it's it's good it's pleasant
0: i considered jumping on it because nicole Hollifcenter's movies yeah. are all kind of like that yeah absolutely right. but uh her name was like popping up in the first two seasons of sex and the Cities, like director credits a lot oh really <laughs> so she was kind of on my mind her and Susan Seidelman apparently directed like a lot of early episodes. Oh, there, I, oh yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah,
1: yeah, that makes sense. It, it, feels... you know, it, it tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But I, I couldn't quite get over the hump of like wanting to go see that Big and Loud in the theater. I feel like a lot of counter-programming at the movies is like that right now. Like, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Mm-hmm. Uh, Showing up was a recent one.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Um, even Past Lives seems like kind of just small in a way, like very intimate, low key dramas. Yeah, even if the emotions are big.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't think it needs to be a theater. It was,
2: it was we did have a kind of weird experience in the theater there was like one guy there that was very vocal during like strange parts of, like anytime you see like a comedy or a horror film oh. in the theater <laughs> yeah. it's like oh a God. communal experience yeah. there's only <laughs> maybe six people in this theater but this one guy just at very particular moments, would just like laugh out loud, yeah. outrageously. Had- it's like, <laughs> not that kind of movie. Right.
1: Just very abruptly, like, ha ha.
2: <laughs> like, I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, the first
1: okay. time he laughed, I, I just looked at James like, what?
0: You know, that happened to me at Bo's Afraid. There were like two guys in the front row who were la- I mean, it's a funny movie, but like yeah. they were laughing uproariously in this like kind of performative way. Yeah. Like they needed me to know that they thought the right. thing was funny. Right, I don't know. It was like didn't feel genuine. or something They're like friends yeah.
1: from Swampflix. No.
0: <laughs> Not me particularly, but yeah. Oh my I god! Did you yeah. see
2: Brandon Leday is <laughs> sitting there? Let's show him how good our well, sense of humor is. We have is. Great another, taste. another wrinkle in this. It was like he was with his girlfriend or partner, and like I overheard him. Like after he would do a big laugh, he explained to her oh, what was god. funny Brutal. about it. No. And it was just like, oh, God, this guy seems insufferable. (laughs) Uh, Oh,
1: just in case you didn't catch it. This was the funny part about that.
2: Wow. And he's like, yeah, you see, (laughs) she knew that he, I'm like, yeah, anyone watching the movie gets it.
0: Uh, Maybe he's workshopping, like, some indie film about, like, awkward comedy. <laughs> Maybe so, yeah. <laughs>
2: he's trying out a new character. Yeah. Right. That was, like, its own little awkward comedy. Uh, but the movie itself is, like, it's pleasant yeah. and it's worth the watch. And there
1: are some very funny bits. I mean, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is just, like, she's so funny, you know. And there, there are some genuinely good, like, jokes. And there's some good I- improvised parts, too, that, you know, just funny stuff.
2: Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Just catch it when it comes on Amazon.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, Brandon, what have you been watching? Uh, I also
0: saw new stuff, which I feel cool. like we've kind of been complaining there's like nothing out lately. But <laughs> Well, I had to like like all of us really
2: things. try. I had to find something. Like, That's
0: how I've been, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I went to the theater twice, though, since we last talked. Um, one thing I was really looking forward to, and I was disappointed by it. And the other, I knew nothing about and really enjoyed it. Um, I saw Ramini yesterday. R I M I N I which is I've seen I saw that it was playing abroad. It. And, yeah. It's only playing abroad like maybe once or twice a day so I assume <laughs> it's not going to last long. Yeah. Um, especially by the time you hear this it's <laughs> probably on its last showing. Um it's named after a resort town on the coast of Italy and it's set in winter so like there's nobody around and these like kind of deserted beach resort spaces, uh like kind of frozen overlooking water parks and stuff, just like kind of this ghostly image of something that should be fun and lively and just isn't. And it's about this washed up Austrian pop singer. Kind of in like the meatloaf mold, but a little cheesier. Uh cheesier
2: than meatloaf.
0: Yeah, like his whole thing is just smoozing women Mm -hmm. is he's just like kind of like a sex idol for a certain era of yeah. like boomers. It
1: reminded me a little bit of that, that trailer that you sent reminded me a little bit of Calvert. Exactly like beginning. that. Yeah. yeah. Mark
0: Stevens character. In that. Yeah. I thought about that a lot as well. Uh, so he's way past his prime. It's, it's current day and he's performing in these sort of empty ballrooms with like maybe like 15 women who find him attractive. Mm-hmm. And He obviously can't pay his rent this way anymore, so he also works as a gigolo. Yeah. And these women individually, like, give him hundreds of dollars for, like, a night with the maestro. Right. One thing is that he walks around with this um, really cheap, ragged fur coat that he throws on the bed, like, an old pelt, and, like, takes the women on top of. So he's basically walking around with this, like, cum rag on his back. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the movie's actually pretty vulgar in its sex scenes, even though the performers are geriatric. Like,. It's not like X or, um, I feel like there's a few recent American horror films where it's like, a naked body being sexual, how hideous and scary. Right. It's like vulgar, but not gross out. It's just like a uh, matter of fact about like old people fuck. Right. You know,
3: Let's embrace that. Yeah. It's kind of
0: cool.
1: I want to be able to fuck when I'm old, you know? <laughs> yeah,
3: and be able to like show your body yeah. and be a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah.
0: The thing is, though, I'm that this guy it. is gross, right. even though okay. the sex he has is, like, Wait, not really judged. With the coat. The coat's gross, <laughs> for obvious I reasons. I dear God. Uh, he has this, like, Nazi father who is senile and in a um, nursing home. And um, even though he thinks of himself as someone who, like, transcends his father's politics, he also is racist and just doesn't realize how racist he is. He's like, I love all people. But like anytime he's confronted with a black or Muslim person out and about in his real life, you just hear like condescension Mm -hmm. and like demeaning kind of like side notes, you know, like the movie starts to confront you with that more and more kind of like in um, the square. Like there's just a lot of homeless people who emigrated to this area because money flows through in the summer, but like they can't afford to leave with the tourists. So like. It's basically just people sleeping outside on this frozen beach. Uh, a lot of these like Muslim people who just like have no place else to go, and um, more and more that becomes really obvious. Like he's holding on to this faded fame and faded wealth in this like town that's like off season, and there's all these people who don't even have that, and they're like an, a rung even below him. And uh, when he needs money quickly, he like exploits anyone he can to uh, get the money. And it's fucking grim, but like a solid movie. I don't know. Cool. It's very much a James movie. Like, I, when I was watching, I was I, like, it I think you would enjoy really this. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciated seeing it on the big screen. I know we're just talking about these smaller movies we've kind of been trained to watch at home. Uh, this one is in a lot of extreme wide shots. So hmm. it makes his life look really small and pathetic just from like shrinking him in the frame and yeah. shooting these like. You know, there's a way to do this like music video glamour where him performing in his like old costumes would look cool. Mm-hmm. But since it's shot from a wide angle, you're looking at him really small in this tiny stage where you can see the
2: drop tiles in the ceiling and how oh. few people are actually yeah. watching. Like,
1: Yeah. And the color grading looks like really drab yeah. too and kind of lifeless.
2: It's like an old rundown motel.
0: Yeah. He's basically haunting these motels like a ghost. Like there's literally no one else in the building in mm. some cases. And it's very repetitive. Like. Him performing and him having sex with these women is this routine that just gets more and more empty the more yeah. he does it. Uh and when he tries to reconnect with his family and his past, like there's nothing left, nothing there. Damn. Uh and it just gets more and more grim. Love it. Further goes. Love <laughs> it. <Yeah. laughs> I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. because um, that's not really my mode usually. Uh you know, maybe it was just refreshing to see old people have sex and have it not yeah. be like, ew, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was very honest about that. But yeah, I don't know, Shades of Vortex, Shades of Hanukkah, just really grim, artsy stuff you can watch at the theater instead of seeing Across the Spider-Verse, which is probably a lot more fun and fulfilling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I also saw Sanctuary, which I have been looking forward to.
2: That was the other thing I wanted to see in theaters. It's still uh, playing know. at Elmwood.
1: I've seen really mixed reviews for that, which has made me a little hesitant to go see it.
0: It's, like, made for me. That's, that's a Brandon yeah. movie. It's, like, <laughs> right. Christopher Abbott in this fancy hotel room. He's trying to break up with his dominatrix as he's becoming this hotel heir. Uh, he's about to get all these millions of dollars. And she's, like, you can't leave me now. Like, I, I made you into the man you are by, yeah. like, playing out these uh, sadomasochist scenarios with you. I, like, built up your confidence. Like You owe me money basically
3: being a dominatrix yeah
0: and so she kind of holds him hostage by the balls in this uh, hotel room um i mentioned christopher abbott because he was also in piercing where mia wasakowska plays his dominatrix and they eventually try to kill each other back and forth in that one it's kind of this perverse comedy and this one it's him and margaret qualley uh and they're going back and forth to trying to break it off clean where she's trying to walk away with like millions of dollars and he's Mm -hmm. trying to walk away without paying her anything really and uh, it just kind of felt flat to me. I don't mm. know. Like, As an erotic thriller, there's some parts that are sexy, but the internal logic of it and the character decisions are nonsensical in a way where it felt like online erotica and not like well. really plotted out thriller stuff. Like, The tension's just not there. It's just like, oh, this character does this now, either because I'm desperately horny and I need them to do that to get off, <laughs> or like I'm a screenwriter who doesn't know what I want out of this scenario. I need to keep the story going. Um, So it just felt kind of like stringy and just not really well put together. But if you think of it as like a romantic comedy where they're like kind of making these daffy decisions that are incomprehensible in this like grand hotel setting, like that's interesting. And it kind of works as like an old Hollywood Mm. rom-com. But what I'll say is like a transition to our main topic is it just doesn't have the Lubitsch touch, you Uh, know? Ah, It's just like... There's a playful back and forth to those old Hollywood rom coms that this one just doesn't carry over. And, like, Hmm. I don't know if it was an issue of chemistry or just like the way it's written. I don't know. I I wanted to really like Sanctuary. I was like, hell yeah, yeah." like something for me in the middle of all these superhero movies. And uh, I don't know. Walked away unsatisfied. I liked the feel bad Hanukkah derivative (laughs) instead. I don't know what to do with that. Um, but yeah, we're talking about Lubitsch today, so we, we will talk about some good uh, rom-coms.
1: Hell yeah, we yeah.
0: will. Arguably the man who created that genre. Right, totally. <laughs> In the like classic Hollywood sense. And all that's coming up to you right, right now. now.
2: Madame Collet, if I were your father, which fortunately I am not, and you made any attempt to handle your own business affairs, I would give you a good spanking. In a business way, of course.
4: What would
1: you do if you were my
4: secretary?
2: The same thing.
1: You're hired. Okay, so I guess I'll just dive into it. Um, Ernst Lubitsch was a uh, German-born director um, who's very popular in basically from the late or even the early 20s to like the late 40s when he, he actually died in 1948, I think. But he uh, started out as an actor in 1913. He was in a lot of comedies. And then his directorial debut was in 1918 with The Eyes of the Mummy, which is a German film. Um, and it seems like he became like pretty successful very early on, like from 1918 to 1921. He, ma- I think he made like, it was probably more than this, but like at least like five or six movies. And Four of them were, like, very successful. Uh, He did, like, an adaptation of Carmen. He did um, an adaptation of, like, the story of Anne Boleyn. Um, So he became, like, internationally popular. And then he moved to America in 1922 because he saw that, like, Hollywood had many, many more resources than Germany did for making films. And he was – in 1928, he started – it was, like, the sound era. He started making these musicals and he made, like, the first romantic comedy in 1932 with Trouble in Paradise. But, like, from what I could tell, he was very successful. He was very influential. Billy Wilder was kind of his protege and he was... Um, his first big, like, writing success was on a Lubitsch film, Ninotchka, and Billy Wilder had this sign above his door that said, like, like what would Lubitsch do, basically? So he was, like, extremely influential during the 20s and the 30s. And uh, I was watching a couple of interviews, and he really, like, changed the approach to filmmaking, too. Like, in America, films were very much dominated by like W.D. Griffith and kind of like that style of filmmaking and he brought this like European kind of sophistication to um, the United States and I think he is like the grandfather of romantic comedies too Um, and he was famous for this concept of the Lubitsch touch which is like <laughs> it was like a marketing term to like differentiate him from other people and to like I don't know get people hooked into his films but it does resonate with a lot of people who watch his movies and it's like it's hard to describe because the idea is that it's this kind of undescribable like color on his films but the way that i think of it is like he has very funny films they're very witty like he does a lot of like social comedies and like he has a lot of love triangles and infidelity and he treats love and sex with this like very light, kind of playful touch. I think he's a pretty economical filmmaker, in that he uses imagery to communicate emotions and narrative in a very like in very efficiently basically, and in like very funny, surprising ways. So I did not know any of this the <laughs> first time I watched a Lubitsch film, which was um. Trouble in Paradise, which is the film that I picked for the podcast. Uh, So I found this movie because it was like cross-posted on a lot of lists that I was looking at on Letterboxd. It was like, um, I think like screwball comedies and uh, pre-code films. Um, There is this like Harvard syllabus for genre filmmaking that I was looking at. And that was on there, I think, because it's like in the same vein of like His Girl Friday and like these like early kind of Hollywood comedies. And I just put it on at like 1030. I had no expectations. I didn't know who Lubitsch was. I just had seen this film on a lot of lists. And it was like, so pleasurable and funny and fun. I was like shocked that I connected to this film as much as I did. And it was made in like 1932. It was just like, completely astounding to me. And I was like, I have to know, who this person is, and and he was this like really influential filmmaker that I really had never heard of, and that's probably you know just my own ignorance. But I feel like he, you know, I I know like Billy Wilder, I know like Howard Hawks, but for some reason like this director had just totally gone under my radar.
0: I watched this uh, French documentary about him on Criterion today, and they said that it was either him or Cecil B. DeMille that was the first director to have. Their name printed on movie posters as like an attraction. Oh, really? Marketing wise, like yeah, Ernst Lubitsch was like a sign of quality, right? In early cinema, before like a director would have been a name like that. Usually, it would be like Mary Pickford or Clara Bow or whoever yeah. the star was.
1: And I, Mary Pickford was, I think, he worked with her on his first American film too. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, he was like, like everybody loved him when he was making films, and then he, he kind of fell off. Like I think a lot of people obviously know of him now but I don't think he's talked about in the same way that other directors are.
0: I will say that in the recent couple of months because Criterion had a collection of his movies I saw a lot of like Hubbub where everyone was watching Lubitsch films Mm -hmm. all at the same time and then uh, it became very apparent after we picked this topic why everyone was rushing to watch these movies which was like at the end of May Movies like Trouble in Paradise and a bunch of the 30s, like pre-code ones, just disappeared from the service and are not available commercially in any way whatsoever now. Yeah. So, like, I got Trouble in Paradise from the library, but we were going to watch a different one. The name's not coming to me.
1: A One Hour With You.
0: Yeah, and that's, like, only available to watch. No, that one's not even on Archive.org, but some of them are on Internet Archive. Yeah, yeah. Designed a lot of them for just living are not online at all right now. Yeah, and I uh,
1: another one that I watched this week was The Doll, which was from 1919, and that that one's on YouTube. So I think his older stuff is available, but then it's like you you're kind of like throwing a dart at the board in terms of the score for his like silent films. Yeah. And I'm kind of like upset that I didn't rush to watch all of these films when I had the chance cuz I didn't realize it was like Oh my gosh, this wonderful director and all of his stuff is available and I have like all the time in the world and now it's now it's kind of gone.
3: It'll come back. I yeah. think they sometimes they'll put stuff like that back on. I
0: mean, who knows? It's like an illusion that everything's available right. all the time. It's one know? of
3: those things too, like, why would there have been so much time and money invested in getting all this available for it just to like disappear?
0: I think it's like a curation thing. Like yeah, uh, there are these like curators who work for Criterion. Yeah. It's the same people who like curate rep screenings in New York. And, like, they gather the rights for these big projects, and those are temporary. And, like, most services could not give less of a shit. Like, the amount of Netflix movies that are from before 1980 is, like, you can count them on That's your true. Heads.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Man, I kind of do wish we would have watched One Hour With You. Just yeah. <laughs> It had definitely had the Lubitsch touch and one of the most annoying main characters of any of these films <laughs> yeah. that we're going to talk about. It would have been a fun discussion. Yeah. But I will we'll say I'm glad we time.
0: spread out from our original yeah. topic, though, because I feel like we've covered not everything he could do, but like as far as his romantic comedies go, like from the early stuff through <laughs> uh maybe when he didn't even finish filming because he died right yeah <laughs> like yeah,
3: uh, the th- end because he's done silent films he's done right. talkies and then yeah. he's done
0: musicals like when musicals are big in the early big, 20s yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah that's where his like his first talking films were musical comedies. yeah they
0: yeah, were mostly talking about Lubitsch rom-coms that are yeah. about adultery which yeah. i feel <laughs> like it's kind of the core of that's what his, a lot of his stuff. stuff yeah
1: yeah So the film that I picked is Trouble in Paradise. Uh, It was uh, released in 1932. It stars Miriam Hopkins as Lily and Herbert Marshall as Gaston Monescu. And they are two criminals. Um, Lily is a pickpocket and uh, Gaston is this like master thief. Um, Also, this was the first film that I've ever seen with Miriam Hopkins. And she is like so fun and funny. She's like very, she's in another film that that we watched for the podcast. Uh, she just has this like really wry kind of like sly sensibility. She's this like really hot blonde who's just like totally cutting and intelligent. And sh- she's great. So Gaston, he steals a wallet from this uh, guy who's staying in this hotel in Venice. He's pretending to be a baron. And Lily is pretending to be a um countess and they're like both just lying to each other and like but having a lovely evening together and then they both kind of reveal to each other that they know that the other one is a con man and this introductory scene is just it's so fun because they're both like they've both just pickpocketed each other and they're like showing each other their spoils and it's this like really really fun meet cute they're like so in love with each other and like like how they've gotten one over on each other it's like it's so charming
0: it also starts as flirting but like turns into actual foreplay where yeah. he steals the garter off right. of her leg yeah just very racy
1: right and th- and then it's like very clear like the sex is pretty clear in this like yeah. at uh-huh. the very end of that they uh, they're, like, kissing on the couch, and then they, like, dissolve off of the couch, and then they put, like, a do not disturb sign on the door. It's just, like, such fun, like, pre-code stuff.
0: One thing I saw in a Peter Bogdanovich intro to this movie was uh, they showed the opening credits. Yeah. Uh, that visual gag, which I didn't catch myself, but yeah. it says trouble in. right. And then the bed appears, Mm -hmm. like, as a graphic. Yeah. And then it says paradise. Paradise.
1: Yeah. I didn't catch it when I watched that either, but I did see that Peter Bogdanovich Uh, interview. I don't know. It's just littered with this stuff. So um, a year later, the two are in a relationship, and they're kind of struggling. Like, he he robs this peace conference, um, but he's forced to give everything back. So they're, like, looking for some money. And there is this um, widow of this, who now owns this perfume manufacturer uh, named uh, Marriott Colette, played by Kay Francis, who's being pursued by these two men, one of whom is the man that Gaston robbed in the beginning of the film. Uh, she's at an opera and these two men are fighting over her and Gaston is at the opera. He steals her handbag, which is extremely expensive. It's like 125,000 francs. And she puts a wanted ad for the – she wants the return of this person. He sees it and he and Lily are like, oh, we can, you know, make some money off of this. And then he kind of, like, weasels his way into Madame Colette's life as a secretary. He, like, kind of cons her into employing him and the end goal is to uh, rob her because she's, like, terrible with money and she just has, like, 100,000 francs in her safe and she's, like – Kind of totally clueless. And over the course of the film, Gaston kind of falls in love with Madame Collet. It's like, it, it seems like it kind of begins, I mean, he's flirting with her so that um, he's endeared to her, but there is a genuine relationship that forms between them. And that is like the trouble in paradise for this like con man couple. So it just kind of like, th- that's the crux of the film. And it's just, like, so playful and fun. There are, like, some really lovely, like, filmmaking tricks of montage. Like, there's this scene where he's spending time with um, Madame Colet, and it's, like, it's evening, and you just see shots of the clock getting later and later. It's, like, 5 o'clock, then it's 9 o'clock, then it's 12 o'clock, and they're just kind of, like chattering to each other and you can't make out any conversation but it's clear that they're like spending time together late into the night at like one in the morning and i don't know it was it's just like such a just such a lovely film about thieves and complex emotions and love and relationships and and class and i just was like totally charmed by it and the second time watching it i was just as charmed
3: So, I thought it was super interesting how, like, we watched, like, Days of Heaven previously. Like, I don't know. I felt a connection to that Mm -hmm. of the whole, like, let's both be in on a scheme
2: to manipulate
3: this rich person, but then I might actually fall in love with this rich person. I don't know. I kept thinking of that movie when I was watching it. Yeah. But, yeah, like, I was shocked at how, like, modern this felt. Yeah. Where, like, this movie could pass today. And it would be fine.
0: Like, it didn't feel
3: very old
2: school. I think that's going to be a recurring thing that we're going to come back
0: to. I would say the humor and the sexual relationships and, like, the dynamic and the humanism, 100%. Yeah. The craft is so much higher than today. (laughs) Oh, I know. (laughs) Like, the way that most movies now have that, like, Netflix lighting where, like, it's overlit so that everything could play on any TV in the world. I mean, this is, like like,
2: really classy stuff the
0: glamour yeah. is unmatched by yeah. modern yeah it's very
2: you know yeah. very sophisticated and i think it's like sexual politics are very free yeah and open yeah and that that again i feel like we're gonna come back to that in a lot of these films but like
3: pretty much in all of them in a way but i
2: like it actually feels more i know it's like pre-code um in a way it feels more progressive than even some of the like rom-coms that we get nowadays
0: it's kind of infuriating that like the code stole this from us you know? yes. like, that <laughs> yeah. there was a
2: period of like of just nothing yeah you know right
1: and this was it was not approved for reissue when the code was enforced and it wasn't i think it wasn't like shown again until 1968
3: yeah which is crazy yeah. that was like almost um, yeah over 30 years after it was released I don't know. It's just weird. It's weird, like, seeing this and thinking of all the Hallmark movies that we have that don't even touch, like, an inch of what this is giving us when it comes to, like, sexual innuendos and, like, Mm -hmm. you know, just this bizarre, like, criminal humor. It's really fun.
1: And there were moments that, like, genuinely kind of left me aghast. Like, there's this scene where Madame Collet, like, comes back home and Gaston is there. And she's, like, coming from this dinner party. And she's, like... Where does a lady put her jewels in a man's room, I think? And he's like, oh, on the bedside table. And she's like, but I don't want to be a lady. Yeah. (laughs) I loved
3: her. That is so
2: sexy. Right. I don't know. To me, eroticism is like, it's not sexual, really. It's like the illusion or the like, it's not what's- The tease. It's not like saying it out loud. And that's what Lubitsch does so well. It's like- Letting the audience fill in the gaps. And you're like, oh, I know what you're talking about.
0: I also love the sequence. I believe it's like right after that where they kiss in her bedroom. Mm -hmm. And it never shows them kissing on bed together. But there's Mm -hmm. like a projection of their silhouettes like kissing in shadow on on her bedspread. It's like, that is filthy. (laughs)
1: yeah, (laughs) Dirtiest thing I've ever seen. I know. I had to rewind it. I was like, (gasps) what?
3: She was so like just sultry. And... She was like the sexiest character, I think, in all these movies was like mm-hmm. Manon Colette yeah. in yeah. this movie. I don't know. I I was fascinated yeah. by
1: her. And i just like, I don't know. I just really liked like Lily eventually finds out, like she sees what's happening, and um she kind of accuses him multiple times of like, like you're a gigolo, basically. And, and he like is. yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And like, like she's And there's a really, there's a funny part where she is like, she's also taken in as his secretary under Madame Coulee. And Madame Coulee is talking to her and like, oh, you know, would you mind taking some work off of him so he can attend to other things? And Lily is like, oh, yeah, I'll stay, you know, if I have to stay late into the night, I will. And she's like, no, 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 you need to leave at five, like. I want you to take this work from him so I can spend time with him, but you need to leave at five so I can spend time with him. And she increases Lily's salary, and Lily is like, oh, well, thank you so much. And then she leaves, and she's so pissed, and she's like, he, she, she just bought you for 50 francs. Like, yeah. she's, it's very clear to her what's going on. And she's, like, not willing to take any shit from him She's like, if, you know, if you want this woman, go ahead and take her. But, like, there is turmoil in this relationship. But in the end, it's like everybody is kind of, like, mature about it and accepts the dynamics. It's It never turns into this, like, huge, like, blowout emotional devastation.
0: Well, that's what the code would have changed is um, punishment. yeah. Like, he would have been punished for doing sex work as a means to rob people, right? Um, especially since he's basically a bisexual gigolo, and like, yeah. the way he robs the first guy at the Grand Hotel is by quote unquote inspecting his tonsils, <laughs> which I feel like is pretty you know straightforward <laughs> right. sexually stuff. And then the pickpocket that he falls in love with, like her attraction to him is the fact that he's a criminal. Like that's yeah. the biggest turn on. She's like, right. I love that
2: you're a crook. Never <laughs> that- stop being a crook. Right. That's what I love. I love that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know, sort of glamorizing criminal, like petty crime. She
0: sexualizes it even. She's like, it makes me horny when you rob people. That's yeah. hot too. And me. she's <laughs> never punished for that,
1: right? And if Damn. anything, the
0: movie ends with this like cute return to them robbing yes. stuff off of each other. Yeah. yeah. And you want to talk about Billy Wilder being like his, you know, understudy or whatever. We talk often about um, Some Like It Hot having, like, one of the best endings to any comedy ever. Yeah. And it's like, totally. honestly, he just copied that off of Lubitsch movies. <laughs> and, like, the ending of this and the ending of the next one we're going to talk about kind of have the same Some Like It Hot ending. Yeah. And it feels perfect every time. Yeah. Um, the code stuff would have made it shamey. And, like, we'll see that as these movies go along. But I don't think he ever really changed the core dynamic of, like, what his characters were into and like Mm -hmm. how everybody kind of empathizes with their um, sinful desires. But this one felt like it still had his early, like grand production quality to it that maybe some of the later movies don't. So like, I'm only judging this by like four Lubitsch movies, but Mm -hmm. like this was my favorite of the batch just because it felt like this grand production where like, There's all these sweeping camera movements every time someone ascends and descends the stairs. Mm -hmm. And there's like almost like this glockenspiel accompaniment on the... um, Yeah, yeah. Just following their movements up and down. Um, The aforementioned silhouettes on the bed was very Mm -hmm. showy. And then when they show Madame Collet's perfume empire the first time, it's introduced in this rapid fire commercial for perfume. Yeah. uh, (laughs) That like feels like it's from a Guy Madden movie from like... You know, almost a century later, it's just this rapid fire, (laughs) surreal, uh, just showiness. Like, I feel like if we've picked one movie that really just shows off everything Lubitsch can do, like, this just felt like one of the greatest comedies ever made. And just, like, it looked effortless almost. And it is
2: considered, I think, his, like, masterpiece, like, quintessential Lubitsch and it I don't know rightfully so rightfully so yeah Yeah.
1: and it's just it's just really funny there are so many great lines and the like in that perfume commercial there's the the tagline for the perfume is like remember it doesn't matter what you say it doesn't matter how you look it's how you smell (laughs) it's just like absolutely bizarre like I I was just shocked that it was so funny and it felt so like fresh and modern and it was made almost a hundred years ago
2: well and we've talked talked about this before on the podcast how like comedies tend to not age well there's something about like comedy that is of that particular time period and that's why watching something like this is so endearing where it's like something made almost a 100 years ago is still funny yeah it is like and it will always be funny and it's not funny in the way like we watched a bunch of scary movie movies recently like, well yeah. i mean
1: you can argue that some of those are just not funny well
2: some of them, many of them are but when they are funny it's like cuz they were funny at a particular yeah. they don't have the touch they, no, don't they don't have
1: they do not, scary movie too no does Lubitsch touch sorely Lube-touch. sorely <laughs> missing the Lubitsch touch scary movie
2: but it's a universality of like comedy and sexiness yeah.
0: well also it's like coming from a good political place where it's punching up and Even though they're trafficking in these wealthier circles, they're basically just common criminals. Right. But they even come up with this like slobs versus snobs dynamic there where he's like, I'm a self-made criminal. I really earned my place in this like upper echelon.
1: Yeah, there's a little touch of like there is criminality at every socioeconomic level, but one of those is like – I can go to jail for one of those and not the other. Essentially, right? Yeah, her
0: board of directors are like robbing her for like much larger millions and millions. Yeah, Uh, but like she won't even call the cops on them, right? Because it would be shameful, like socially. Yeah. Uh, So you know, the movie has a good political angle. I think even when she says her purse was stolen. There's a Leninist that just (laughs) shows up just (laughs) to yell at her for like buying (laughs) an expensive purse in the first place. Yeah.
1: Right. He's (laughs) like, if you, there were diamonds on the front and diamonds on the back, (laughs) how dare you buy this purse at this time? (laughs) I I do love
2: the very kind of notorious modern philosopher, Sloja Joizhek, uh, he had a criterion closet pick, and this was his like number one. Really? Yeah, because of like the Trotskyite yeah. and the like class struggle. Yeah. And he said it's such like a perfect encapsulation of like class warfare.
0: They don't translate his Russian cussing, but it basically comes across like when the revolution comes, you're a first against the fucking wall. Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <first> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. The movie's just—it's hard. Is in the right place. Like yeah. the sex is fun. The crime is fun. Uh, no one's punished for transgressing. Like yeah. and no one's really put down for being on the lower, lower rung than anyone else. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I the beginning of this film and the end of this film, I just like can't help but smile throughout the whole thing. Like it is so fun and just like a true treasure and a pleasure. So yeah, I would I think everybody should watch this movie.
2: I think it's a the perfect starting point for getting into Lubitsch.
0: And a good argument for uh, internet piracy right now because the only place to stream it is on archive.org, which is illegal. Uh, I happen to get a DVD copy from the library, but like that's pretty fucked up. That yeah, can't it said
3: just... .org, so it
0: feels oh yeah, yeah. Legal. <laughs> <laughs> But people are trying to shut them down for copyright stuff right now, and it's like really I'm I didn't know that providing know that. a service that no one else is giving us luvage. Have you ever been in love? There's no time to
4: answer that.
3: Have you ever felt your brain catch fire and a curious, dreadful thing go right through your body, down, down to your very toes, and leave you with your ears ringing?
2: That's abnormal. The Lubitsch that I picked is from 1933, called Design for Living. Um, this one also stars Miriam Hopkins. Yeah. And... This is actually, I think I watched this before the one we just talked about, but I think this one's a little even dirtier with its sexual politics. So this was adapted from a play. Uh, Yeah, the play was written by Noel Coward. Yeah. And I I do love this quote I want to read. He said, because apparently Lubitsch and his screenwriter, Ben Hecht, at the time, they totally rewrote the play. And Coward said, I'm told that there are three original lines of mine left in the film, such as past the mustard. <laughs> so he's totally saying, like, they just rewrote yeah. this thing from the ground up. And it stars a very young Gary Cooper as George and Frederick March as Tom, who are two struggling artists. Uh, one's a painter. The other other is a playwright and they meet gilda played by miriam hopkins on a train in this very i think how do you use the term meet cute
1: yeah is <laughs> yes. the term
2: like i guess back in the day it was like an ingenious way for characters to meet at the beginning of a story and there's a really good one in this movie where they meet on a train and the two men are sleeping and Gilda is drawing them because she's also an artist. Because she's yeah. also an artist, and it's just a really like fun, playful way for these three characters to meet. And she kind of becomes their muse, where they're these sort of struggling artists, these bohemians, and she is sort of the one pushing them to create their art. And they kind of form this thruple, and she said. The gentleman's agreement is no sex.
0: I'm going to move in. I'm going to get you into like artistic shape. We're going to make the best work of your life. Right.
2: We're not going to fuck. We're not going
1: to... Yeah, she's like a boot camp leader. Right.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which I I love that dynamic in the beginning of this film where she's like, I'm going to whip y'all into shape. Like, Y'all are artists and you got to work instead of just kind of moping about. Mm -hmm. And there's a great line where she says, I'm no gentleman. (laughs) Essentially implying like, We're going to fuck. Right. Right. The three of us are living in this like rundown apartment in Paris. This den of sin. Den of sin. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it is heavily implied like they are screwing, but it's an open, happy three-way relationship. Um, Eventually, she does get into kind of a monogamous relationship with one of the artists yeah. The, the playwright.
1: Well, so the playwright moves to England. Yeah. Because right. his show is opening. So then it's just her and the painter. The painter, yeah. George. Yeah. So then the, they're like off on their own.
0: The balance is off because she's like one at a timing then yeah. when it needs it to, be, to be, be everyone all, all at once. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then there's like, you know, jealousy involved. And then there's another kind of subplot where she ends up with this hoity toity. Yeah. Really like, boring ass a drip and yeah he,
1: he's also in trouble in paradise he is like oh, francois really? the guy that um who gets robbed
0: likes to get his tonsils inspected right. yeah. Oh, oh, right. yeah oh yeah
1: who's right. like yeah and he's plays very like a very similar character like very uptight and kind of like, like
3: goofy in a weird way too right. like i find i find his yeah. character. I, I was reading
2: <laughs> that in the the play his character is written more openly gay and in the movie that's sort of played down I would a say a little bit.
0: I would say in Trouble in Paradise it's more obvious cuz like he asks the gigolo like robber guy like about the harems in yeah. Morocco, and he's like, "Oh, can you get other things than women at those harems?" Yeah, yeah. Like a little a and his eyes, then-
1: bug
2: out. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> Oh,
2: Constantinople. But
0: it's pretty clear in uh, "Design for <laughs> a Living" that he's more interested in money and his yeah. business connections with other men than he is in his wife.
2: Yeah, and there and there's this great climactic scene where he's having all his like business people over, and Gilda does not want anything. <laughs> to do with it and the two like men and her throuple come back into her life disrupt the party and they essentially decide like yeah we had a good thing going with just the three of us and they go off into the sunset you get the
0: same like some like it hot ending again
2: yeah yeah just like people riding away in like some sort of vehicle just openly saying like yeah this this is good like we have an understanding about what this is yeah and um This is probably my favorite Lubitsch, which is why I picked it, just because it's just as funny as any of his other ones. But it also, I think, has the most kind of like still progressive for even today, seeing shows on like TLC about open relationships and throuples, and it still feels very transgressive in the way that this movie approaches that in a very like, yeah, this is fine. Yeah. Like if people want to do it and everyone's happy, then that's great. And the fact that this was 1933 still sort of blows my mind. The
0: gender dynamic has also flipped from what you would usually see where it's like usually one guy with like three girlfriends. Yeah. Right. Yes. For it to be one woman sharing two guys and they're like willing to, you know, work out that power balance there. Like yeah. that's pretty unusual.
2: Put their like hands in together like a powwow, and <laughs> yeah. they're like, and the guys' hands are touching, and they're like totally into it. You're like, and she's calling the shots. Like, it's progressive. It's hot. It's like risque even for yeah. nowadays. And you're like, how the hell did this even pre code? Yeah past
3: the movie's like rooting for them too where it's like we want this to work out this is like the big thing you get at the end is all them like happily
0: ever after three cheers for the happy yeah yeah
1: (laughs) yeah like so in the beginning like she's sleeping with both of them and neither of them know that she, she's hooking up with both of them and then she's like she's like ah oh, with this guy i get this feeling of heat oh, going I to my head that. all the way to my toes and, and then with him i get it in my toes all the way to my head you know it's like and she keeps like she's talking about like oh you know i i'm trying on different hats but i want all the hats it's like acknowledging that different people do and like give you different things and you have different dynamics with them in ways that are like kind of equally satisfying and and lovely and then like she ends up with one guy because one guy leaves so that yeah the balance is off and then she swaps yep. for a little bit and then she's like i can't keep doing this like i'm gonna be a good girl and she goes off with this like Hoity toity. He has some line. I can't remember exactly how it goes. It's like three square meals a day and
0: <laughs> boring. <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah. It's yeah. like, uh, you know, living sinfully is fun, but it can't compete with like. Modest living, yeah, yeah, yeah. Through, meals a day. Right. Or He's like the
1: paragon of of like uh morality. Yeah. But it's like when he when she marries him, it feels devastating. Yeah, it's, it's like, just this like, is like is a wrong. marriage
2: of convenience right. and like you feel sad. Like that portion of the movie where she's with him, I'm like, oh really? Yeah. This sucks. Like right. this is awful. And then when they come and disrupt this party, it's just like, oh, thank God. Like <laughs> Like you're rooting.
0: Yeah, yeah. But it is like a Relatable thing though is like when you're younger and totally living yeah. an artist's life in these like slums, and it's like easy to feel like morally loose and like anything's possible, yeah. And then you just settle for like the easiest, yeah, uh, most comfortable thing that comes your way, yeah. But not this guy,
2: like uh, the, no, he's a this drip. guy is obviously <laughs> the villain, yeah, right. Uh, and the movie is. Obviously rooting for the throuple.
0: yeah, yeah, when she describes the different orgasms she gets with the two different guys, he's like, <laughs> that can't be good.
2: that's that's probably bad for your body I don't like that. <laughs> and i I love that she like you said, the gender flip where in so many movies, it's just taken for granted, like, yeah, guys sleep around. They want to sleep with as many women as possible. And in this movie, it's Flip where she's just kind of trying out different hats and like, Y'all give me different things and if it we're all in agreement and all consenting parties and we're all getting pleasure out of it, then let's do it.
1: And somehow it's like it doesn't even work if I can't have both of you. Like that's a necessary part of it. Like she has the there's this scene where she's like, you know, when I was with him, I was like, you were a ghost in my chimney or something. Like I felt like I could hear you. And then she is with him and she leaves this note and she's like I knew that if I stayed with you he would be my new ghost. It's like she needs both of them. Yeah. And possibly there is a, f- a modern film out there that but like I can't think of a movie made within the last 20 years where there is like a love triangle that ends in this way that is like the thruple is the happy ending. Like Correct. almost every romantic comedy it's like Two people are after the same person, and it's like the stable, dependable person and the like kooky, crazy, like free spirited one. And you pick one or the other. Yeah, I yeah. Feel like
0: the modern way to go, especially when, like team high school comedies, is like, um, you know, these two men are vying for my affections. And the progressive thing at the end is like, I'm going to choose neither of you. And I'm going to choose myself yeah, instead. Right. I've seen that. But it's like yeah. actually the more daring yeah. thing is like, yeah, them, both, both of you. Of you. <laughs> yeah.
3: Right. And
1: everybody's <laughs> like, oh, that's possible. All right, let's do it. <laughs> it's
3: like we're falling into this mold of like, you know, a successful relationship is only like, two people. Right. And like this totally goes against that 100%. But yeah, a lot of movies I've seen where like someone's seeing like two people at once. Right. It's like, oh, this isn't going to work out. And you know what? I think I love that person more. So I'm just going to go with them. Right. Like when they're having like multiple dinners in the same night. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
2: there's something about (laughs) the, the sexual politics of it that I love. And I also love that like creative spirit, like how she's kind of telling them like, Stop talking about doing it and just do the thing that you claim to do. Like she is their muse, but she's like her. in a th- not a muse, like a flowery. She's like an authoritarian. Yeah. Like no, sit down and write that She gives play. some structure, yeah. And yeah.
1: she's like a commercial yeah. artist. Like she works for an ad agency, <laughs> yes. I think. So she's yeah. also like, this is my job. Um, and she has like diligence and and uh discipline, and she kind of like. Imparts that upon them because they're they're sort
2: of these like Americans living in Paris, bohemian, but they're wishy washy, not really doing their craft, they're not
0: serious about it, not serious.
2: And she like is cracking the whip on him. so yeah, all those like dynamics just feel really fresh, even like watching it now. I want
0: to agree with you, and like, I I think this is what I wanted from the Lubitsch movies when we picked this topic. I was like, I want to find. The filthiest stuff he got away with. You know, that was my impulse. (laughs) Yeah. But like after I watched this first and then I watched Trouble in Paradise and comparing the two, I was just like, this one was just eaten alive by the other one just because it's so immense and like the filmmaking is so grand and large in that movie. Mm -hmm. And this is a lot more shuttered in. It's like these three people in these like closed spaces. It feels like a play.
2: It does feel like a play. That is true. Yeah. And this was
0: doing what I thought I wanted Lubitsch to do, which was like push pre-code vulgarity as far as he could. Yeah. And I've really enjoyed it, but it just wasn't my favorite out of the two because trouble in paradise was also just like exquisitely shot and constructed in a way that like kind of
2: outmatches it. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, I I really love them both. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I mean,
0: we're going to split hairs because it's <laughs> like, uh, this guy made great comedies for like decades. Uh, You know, <laughs> all we have to say about each one, think, one is like, I that was also good.
2: I, I am in awe of his craftsmanship. Yeah. But I'm also in this movie, I'm in awe of like pushing the sexual, mm-hmm. the social norms of the time, but also pushing the norms of like now.
1: Yeah. yeah. Like
2: almost a hundred years later, that's still like. Right boggles my mind
1: like the show that james was talking about we we watched the show strange love and every episode it's like they have multiple couples in every episode and every single episode they have A thruple. It's like, these people are, they are living together, and they're like, oh, look at all these problems they're having, and sometimes it's like, they're living in a thruple, but also they're vampires, you know? (laughs) But it's (laughs) just, like, the idea that that show was made, I mean, it's probably like 2007 or something, you know, where it's like, this is an oddity, and Design for (laughs) Living came out, like, again, almost a hundred years earlier, where it's just like, considering this relationship very frankly and taking it, evaluating it as a viable, like, a good option is, like, it's wild to me.
2: But I am, I know that I'm kind of like a an old school sort of guy just because, like, those modern shows bother me because they show all the stuff in the bedroom and you're supposed to gawk at, like... Look at these freaks. Look at these right. freaks. Yeah. And what I love about these older films and Lubitsch especially is, like, leaving it open to the imagination is so much sexier to me. Like that is truly erotic. And like, I I don't know. I find it really refreshing because I think so much of modern stuff is just like, show me and not like, let me fill in the blanks myself. In that
0: um, French documentary on Criterion, they show a clip of a movie we didn't pick. So I, I think it's maybe to be or not to be. So in that one, there's a shot of this like married couple over breakfast. Or I I might have gotten the title wrong, but it's a married couple over breakfast and they kiss. And instead of showing them kiss, he pans down to the table and shoots the food. And you see their silhouettes Mm -hmm. kissing. And it's like there's nothing vulgar about a married couple kissing on camera at that time that he was making the film. But like by being more suggestive, your mind is like, well, what are they doing? Like, how hard are they kissing right right
3: now? And why is there so much food here? Well, yeah, the food
2: itself (laughs) is essential in a different way. Yeah. This did come up when we were watching Eyes Wide Shut, where, you know, we were talking about that orgy scene and how yeah. it's not sexy because it's just like watching porn. Yeah. But the beginning of the film when the couples are like flirting with other people and there's yeah. all this suggestion of just like touching and flirtation. Right. It's that like is possibility like possibility. Possibility is so much more erotic right. yeah. to me. And like. That's why these Lubitsch movies feel sexy. To it's like, you know, what's unspoken and what's yeah. un—that's what not shown. Gets
3: like your dopamine going is like the idea of like getting to it, right? Like yeah. When people are like drug addicts, like the idea of getting your next fix is like better than getting right. your the fix
0: itself. Maybe yeah. the Lubitsch touch is just edging. You know Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> no, it is. Right? It is. It is totally. That's what. Yeah. If if it's like here's here's the bed we're gonna sleep and this is us having sex, it's like, all right, cool, whatever. Right.
1: Yeah. It's the same with horror movies a lot of the time. You know, it's like yeah. the buildup of like you're about to see something is like scarier than like because you can imagine anything, but once you have, it it's like Schrodinger's box kind of like it could be anything but then once you make a decision and put the image on film it can only be one thing and the thing it's the thing that you're seeing so like yeah. it can take away some of the mystery but i also th- like lubich is subtle but he is also like i feel like he's much more frank than a lot of other filmmakers were like he had it's like he had a filthier mind But he was also very careful about how he communicated those ideas, which makes it like even sexier.
2: Yeah, he's filthy but very sophisticated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that
0: is the one to recommend for like I can't believe someone got away with this. Yeah, totally. Especially since it was so close to when the code was enforced. I think it was like less than a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the the S word is said in it. It's never said in any movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um the next two we watched were from the 1940s when the code was like firmly in place. Yes. Uh And I picked shop around the corner because uh, I knew that it was the movie that uh, you've got mail was based off of. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, thinking of him as this like architect of like the Hollywood rom-com, it felt like important to like see the difference between his prototype for what they became and like, the literal Nora Ephron version that we grew up with in the 90s, which You've Got Mail was a Nora Ephron film, um, where she just basically updated the tech of how these characters were relating. And in Shop Around the Corner, there's this like pen pal club where (laughs) uh, Jimmy Stewart and Margaret Sullivan are exchanging letters anonymously in this post office box. And then You've Got Mail, it's Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan exchanging emails anonymously. And in both cases, they have this contentious workplace relationship in the 90s version uh tom hanks is this like reaganite business asshole who's like <laughs> steamrolling meg ryan's entire business and just like putting her into like a destitute like obsolation in modern new york and we're supposed to just get over it uh that's missing the lubich touch you know in the, in, the, in the 40s one uh jimmy stewart is margaret sullivan's um direct boss at this department store in budapest where he's like managing about six different clerks in this very tiny shop. It's amazing. That there are people. <laughs> right. It's like this size. It's there. like a living room in there. Way right.
1: overstaffed. Yeah. <laughs> the departments
3: are just like little like glass cases. They right. make all their money
2: in like the one week of Christmas. <laughs> right, right.
3: <laughs> yes.
2: Uh, and she judges him
0: by his work persona because he's kind of a tight wad asshole because uh, he kind of has to be. He's middle management. And he judges her by her work persona, which is like he needs her to do things to make the shop run smoothly. And she's kind of an independent spirit. But in letters, where they're actually themselves and like off the clock, they uh, connect over literary Mm -hmm. touches and like, you know, the poetry of life and romance and like it's kind of like sexual urges that are not exactly alluded to the way that they would have been around the time Design for a Living was made. Mm -hmm. It's like passionate but restrained. And the frustration of the two of them not connecting that they are speaking to each other off the clock. The audience catches on a lot sooner than they do. Mm -hmm. And it's like frustrating. Like, when will they find out? (laughs) And then Jimmy Stewart finds out earlier than Margaret Sullivan. (laughs) And it becomes almost like a serial killer stalker movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He inserts himself into her private life when she's not at work. And basically in a very goofy way, um, tries to, Manipulate in- her into buying him the perfect Christmas gift that she thinks he's buying <laughs> for her uh, for her, you know pen pal. um, but also is trying to orchestrate the perfect time to reveal himself as yeah. the person on the other end of the pen. And the movie is both really fun and sexy and romantic in like how they're connecting as two minds disembodied from their, like, work selves. Like, they're really connecting intellectually. But also really unnerving in the way that I think modern rom-coms are made. Um, The one time we did a rom-com episode, James picked uh, My Best Friend's Wedding, which really delved into how psychotic that kind of behavior is and that kind of, Mm -hmm. like, manipulations behind the scene (laughs) um, in a very direct way. I don't know that this movie does that, but it's very obvious that, like, to us now that like jimmy stewart is unethically behaving (laughs) in this like power dynamic
3: yeah he like he made up a fake human being yeah like (laughs) that freaked me out yeah and like i feel like an idiot because i didn't catch on until like there was the restaurant scene i was like oh shit like (laughs) this is what's happening at first i'm like oh they're just like two young kids out on the town with dates because that's what happens in these days Mm
2: -hmm. yeah all right like watching this together Like especially in the last like thirty minutes of the film where we're just like God damn it, Jimmy! Like Jimmy, just gotta tell her, Jimmy. But thinking of when I thought about it afterwards, I was like, well, that's actually kind of makes sense, and it's kind of sweet where he doesn't want to let her down. Like they're both, like you said, they have these workplace personas, and then they have these like ideal versions of themselves that they've been writing letters to. And he's trying. He like doesn't want her to be let down, realizing that yeah. it's him. So I don't know. I actually would kind of want to rewatch it with that lens. But like the first go through, yeah, it's just anxiety of like, dude, just tell her. Like, why are you doing? And I will say, that this out?
0: You would think initially this would be a letdown after watching his early pre-code stuff. But this actually feels like an endlessly rewatchable, like perfectly constructed rom com. Yeah.
3: Me. Oh like, yeah. yeah. This was like my favorite one out of the bunch. I, I, I see that. Like where I'm, like this is such like a rewatchable thing. Yeah. Where I would love it over and over again, just like You've Got Mail. Mm-hmm. Same I recipe. You've
0: Got Mail. After this, it's it's not very good. Come on. <laughs>
3: oh god, I
2: feel like I've watched I like it so you, many god. times. I it's fine. Mm-hmm. It wow.
3: That I was like the again. tenth DVD I watched. I, I do, and
2: I do one thing I like about again. I haven't watched it in years, but. What seems smart about You've Got Mail is like, what was weird in this movie was that them working together, that dynamic as opposed to in You've Got Mail, it's like competing. Like when the shop around the corner started, I thought it was going to be his shop and she works at like a rival shop. And then the fact that they like work together was kind of strange. And I think updating that in You've Got Mail is smart. I, might, I don't know. You might disagree.
1: I actually, I liked, I had that same uh, thought. Like, I assume that's how it would be set up. But I think if I didn't have that, uh, if I didn't know that You've Got Mail was a, basically adapted from this, I don't think I would have felt that way. And I really, I liked how much the shop felt like a little community. And I felt like that, like their relationship being coworkers kind of like, um supported that too. It's like this little ecosystem of all of these people in the shop just trying to get by basically.
0: it felt like a sitcom like yeah, a centrally located, kind of like a you know city perk and friends or something like that yeah. And totally. all the characters were
2: great too. right. Yeah. That's what I was gonna say. I think like all the supporting characters were were great.
0: I don't want to hammer this too hard, but like for me, the way that Nora Ephron tries to lesson how creepy it is that jimmy stewart's like withholding this information (laughs) and you've got mail she holds the reveal later like tom hanks does not know what he's doing until like an hour into the movie he's like oh now i see what's going on but what happens after that is he just like ruins her life and the movie just like has
2: to allow time for them to get over that we did well (laughs) if i remember correctly doesn't he buy her shop, but then like give it back to her no
0: no he just shuts her down what
2: the? But then love saves, really saves the day. <laughs> her shop is called The Shop Around the Corner, by the way, which is a nice Oh, light, oh you're light right. Light. Wait, wait. I guess I'm misremembering, but he shuts her down? Yeah. It's just like
0: progress, you know? There's no way of like stopping business. It is what it is. And, you know, once she has time to heal from that wound, then they are able to connect as
2: two people yeah. in the street and share income. But she doesn't get to run her bookstore no. anymore. Really? Yeah.
4: That's how like,
2: yeah, that's wow. what I'm saying. It's kind of like... All right, well, I totally forgot they that. They
0: retooled <laughs> it, but like actually made it worse in a way, because yeah. she just gets kind of steamrolled by him. Damn. Yeah.
2: I mean, that is a statement on capitalism <laughs>
0: right there. And
1: it makes me sad.
0: I will say, the one thing that the movie does maintain from Lubitsch, though, and it's very essential to every single movie we picked, is that um, adultery is kind of this cheerful, positive influence <laughs> in these people's lives, like... At the start of the movie, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan both have monogamous partners and their partners cheat or they cheat um, emotionally via email. Yeah. And it's like a good thing and everyone has fun.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you know, like uh, the
0: the movie cheats adultery is this kind of like cheerful development uh, that like has to happen for these like <laughs> people to develop healthily, which I don't know. I find that like. Kind of progressive for that kind of like '90s rom-com yeah. template as well. Yeah, I mean,
2: it still feels transgressive to yeah. our modern, for sure. Right, monogamy. Yeah,
1: I one thing I liked about I haven't seen You've Got Me in a long time, but I because it's email instead of letters, like it does allow them to go into the email communication more. Like these letters, you get a couple of like hints of what's in the letter, but they have to develop the in person relationships so they can't spend too much time on it and there's also this like kind of funny delay of like she gets a letter and she's like oh well he totally misunderstood this thing i did and i'll have to write him and you know he's gonna find out about it two days later but i mean it's just like the technology didn't exist back then so that couldn't have been the case imagine if they had email yeah (laughs) and i do i do want to talk about the like I was on the same boat of like like he needs to tell her it is a little creepy but I do agree with James that like especially when he meets her in the cafe and he knows he knows who she is she doesn't know who he is and he, he she's like you know you could never live up to this man in the letter like you're just a boring bland clerk and that's you can see that it's like deeply hurtful to him and he feels like I think he feels like I can't tell her like I have to do all of this damage control to get to the point where she will love me she's
0: deflating the ideal i mean he he's deflating the ideal in her head to like bring that person down to like a real human level
2: again yeah yeah
1: and when he's like constructing uh, like he pretends that he's met this man that she's gonna meet and And then he's like he's
2: not good like he's not what you think he is oh
1: yeah you know and he just lost his job and he was a little concerned about your income but i told him you're getting a raise like he's painting and i was like this is fucking weird jimmy but then that scene changes once he he like reveals a, a piece of the letter that. Um, that he wrote to her and it totally turns the tone of that scene into like very romantic, very vulnerable. Yes. Like it's like he's he's just like looking at her pleading for yeah. h- her to love him and it like it I went from just like so exasperated to like really moved by that scene. Like I, I thought it was
2: beautiful you're right about that. I agree. Scene. Like I actually was feeling it at the end which is weird cuz we I feel like the tone in the room was like, oh, my God, Jimmy, stop it. Well, the
0: movie's <laughs> working you to feel that, too. Yeah, yeah no, it totally. is. No, yeah. totally. And
2: to its merit. And at the end, you're still like kind of swept up in the romantic, which I think that's pretty great to pull. Out. And I think a lot of it has to do with the actors. Like, yeah. Jimmy Stewart is one of the greatest actors of that generation. And he's like mm-hmm. so charming. It's an early role for him, too. Like, he's yeah, very young in this. He's a young yeah, young boy. And he's like, I don't know. He's really charming in this in a role that I feel like is kind of hard to pull off. Yeah. Being like a little creepy, a little gaslighty.
0: The movie does poise him physically in a way that's disturbing like yeah, once he knows true. what's going on he's like hulking over her right yeah <laughs> well
1: and then like Sweet, convincing though. her to get <laughs> the what she, she's like gonna buy him this <laughs> annoying music box the cigarette he's, like box. yeah a yeah, cigarette <laughs> box he's like Ugh. are you sure maybe it's like a wallet but you know yeah. that, that's kind of like conniving but
0: there's a power balancing moment too where um she reveals to him that like she was negging him right. as flirting <laughs> yeah. and it, like, yeah. it kind of backfired on her yeah so like she knew something he didn't know at some point too, which kind of helps diffuse
2: it a little bit. Yeah. It does yeah. it's like they're yeah, they're both playing with the ideal. But we don't know that until the very last right. minute. There's a stretch in there where it's like he has yeah. all the cards. He has all the
0: cards. And yeah. it's really disturbing. That
3: ending is a massive payoff. Yeah, it, yeah, totally it is. is. Oh, yeah. Because it's like
2: Christmas and the lights are, they're turning all out it, the lights in yeah. the shit. It shot. really is a wonderful life, you guys. Cause,
3: Cause, <laughs> it is. I would consider this a Christmas film, yeah. holiday yeah, movie. Totally. I was so, I was getting like that secondhand embarrassment from her where it was so hard to watch. I was so nervous some dumb shit was going to happen at the end. But I don't know if y'all watch that show Catfish.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. A
3: lot of times it's like, you know, someone's like, I've been talking to this guy online, and he's everything. We're engaged, and he's awesome. And yeah. then at the end, it's like, oh wait, that's my best friend. Yeah, like you can't really get anybody. So I thought I would just make someone up that right. would love Ooh, you. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I've like, oh those. god, it's rough. It was it's that same energy yeah. that was happening, and I'm like, holy shit, holy shit. Yeah, turn this around, man. Turn this around, and he did it. He did. Oh, man.
0: That kind of psychotic inhuman behavior is a very clear template for modern rom-com behavior. I guess by modern, I mean like the 80s and 90s stuff we grew up with. Yeah. Like when characters in rom-coms make decisions, we're like, what are you doing? Like get out of that person's office or like, (laughs) you know, stop lying to them about who you are. Yeah. Uh, Those movies are working that frustration in a way where you're like like begging for the two characters to get on an even plane and kiss at the end. Or you're begging for the uh, man to go to jail uh, just as often. <laughs> but like, uh, I don't know. This was the one where I clearly felt like, oh, yeah, Lubitsch did lay out the roadmap for, you know, the next 50 years, 60 years of Hollywood easily. Yeah. Uh, but with the earlier stuff we watched from the 30s, it was almost like something we had lost and didn't wasn't yeah. carried over, you know?
1: Yeah, totally.
0: And I would say the next one
1: sorry
3: his final <laughs> film
0: <laughs> was very I'm clearly sorry. like of its time
3: yeah this one is not like the rest um, <laughs> one is not like the other one is yet. not like the other so i chose the very last film and the film that murdered this man i think
0: he shot eight minutes of footage or something or eight, eight, days. eight days of footage yeah
2: well i thought it was he died eight days after
0: no, he no, shot eight he days not. of the shooting schedule, and then Otto Prebinger finished the film for him. Yeah. Right. Really? So okay. that's
1: yeah. I was trying to figure out how much of it was.
2: Yeah, I wanted yeah. to learn more about. The, I didn't. Like, production. I couldn't find
1: the full timeline,
3: yeah. but I just know like he got eight days worth, so a lot of the photography and. I mean, a lot of the storyline and things like that, like he influenced. But um, so, well, the movie is That Lady in Ermine. <laughs> um, I thought Ermine was going to be the town, but it's an animal. <laughs> and it's a fur coat. <laughs> um, this is from 1948. Um, and like Brandon was saying, Otto Preminger did a similar thing for a royal scandal in 1945, where Ernst got sick kind of halfway yeah. through and then he picked up. So, my thing is, like, it looks like he kind of trusted that guy. Yeah. So, but when this movie came out, like, a lot of it, a lot of the posters, it was a sole credit of Ernst Lubitsch. And as time went by, because Ernst Lubitsch, like you were saying, is sort of, like, a brand that um, people, like, put on, like, his name was just as big as the the main actors. But um, later on... The posters and all the credits started to change to like this co-director shit yeah. between the two of them.
0: I do want to note that the last time we watched a Preminger movie was Laura, yeah, which was uh, also Laura. about someone falling in love with yes.
2: a painting a of painting. a beautiful woman. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah.
3: you're right. I didn't even put that together. Oh,
2: shit. I also I was reading a little bit about his like notoriety as a director, and he was like a total fucking dictator <laughs> that like berated his actors and was very hated in the in the industry of being just like a fucking tyrant. Which is oh funny because Lubitsch was the exact opposite. opposite. Yeah. Everyone yeah. loved him. Loved Lubitsch. Like, and he Lubitsch started as an actor so yeah. like, he would like
0: mime yeah, uh, what he wanted true. the actors to do yeah. on stage and yeah. they all thought he was hilarious. Yeah, I
1: totally I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, he would like do exactly what they needed to do. But
0: he would like do it too much and
2: they would pull right. it back. <laughs> like, yeah. okay, I get what you're going right, for right. but you're a little broad. Right, buddy.
1: right, right. <laughs> I get the right idea though.
2: <laughs> but it's funny that like he trusted like you said, Otto so much and he seemed to have a completely opposite directorial (laughs) style
0: yeah maybe it was like i don't want to be replaced like if i like bounce back from this heart attack you know i need you to i need i need everyone to want me back you know yeah
3: well so i guess you know i think this film has like a dash of the Lubitsch touch doesn't have a lot of it though um but it's beautiful and it's fucking weird technicolor (laughs) it's basically this it felt more like a fairy tale fairy tale slash not really historical piece that takes place in like the 1800s in this little Italian town and Angelina mm-hmm. played by um, Betty Grabble beautiful marries she's a countess and she marries a baron um played by Caesar uh shoot what's his fucking last name because I've seen him and stuff Caesar Romero yeah. So, Susan Marrero, Marrero,
0: Marrero, Marrero, <laughs> <Susan> Marrero, <laughs> Romero, Susan. oh my god, from the West Bank,
3: from the West Bank, <laughs> <laughs> he's Popeye's brother, Marrero, um, he's Mario, and they, ha- the film starts where they just had their wedding, and they're like, oh my god, we were childhood friends, and look at us now, and um, we're gonna have a beautiful life together, and they're just super in love. And then the Hungarians um, mm-hmm. invade the castle, and he immediately leaves. <laughs> <laughs> he flees. So Mario is gone, but none of it is like upsetting. Like everyone is just jovial yeah. the whole time.
1: It's like they've been this castle's been invaded a lot of times for centuries. So they're, yeah, they're yeah. kind of used to it. I'm like, they're oh like, no, here it comes again. Just
3: right. I guess, they're basically like a hotel behind. for soldiers right. passing
4: through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: So, um, it's invaded by the Hungarians, and colonel teglash um Doug Fairbanks Jr is leading this invasion, and all of these paintings in the castle, these like ancestral paintings mm-hmm. come to life, which is the weirdest shit ever, and I loved it like their paintings are like little rooms that are framed with these very ornate frames. And the big painting is The Lady in Ermine, where it is Angelina's, like, great, 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 great grandma, like, essentially her ancestor, Francesca, who looks just like her. And when the painting comes to life, Francesca is also played by Betty Grable. Mm -hmm. So it's really freaking hard to pinpoint the shift and flashbacks because they are so similar looking because uh, they are the same person. And like the time frame, like the time period and the the settings don't really change or anything yeah, like that. Right. So it was really hard for me to like figure out like what's present and then what was like, you know, 300 years ago. Um, but Teg Lash is like super like disturbed by this painting. He's like, why is she in an ermine coat? <laughs> why does she not have shoes?
1: And he's obsessed with <laughs> it. That's such a funny... He's like, this woman doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. <just> pisses him <laughs> off. Um, so they
3: start to have like a little... Like he starts to get feelings for um, for Angelina. And she kind of does like the cutesy like, I'm gonna let you flirt with me, but I'm married. Um, so don't get too crazy. <laughs> and um, so Francesca visits him in a dream or visits him (laughs) in his room that then causes him to have a dream about um, a dinner that would involve Angelina where she would have a knife and potentially stab him in the back because that's what Angelina did in a very similar situation. I'm sorry, Francesca. Shit. In a similar (laughs) situation like 300 years ago, they were invaded and she like kind of uh, flirted with the captain, lured him into his tent and like stabbed him in the back. So there's this assumption that that's what M um, Angelina's gonna do. And then there's this really bizarre dream where there's like a knife and it's like n- it's not a pig on the dinner table. Yeah. It looks like a muskrat or something. Yeah. it It's a very bizarre piece of meat. and uh, she pulls the knife out and throws it at a clock. And there's this really cool like, stop motion effect and then it stops time and they fly away into the sky because that makes sense. And yeah. then she also
0: carries him up the stairs as if like yeah. she's carrying to like, yeah. deflower him. Yes,
3: get. it's pretty hot. Yeah,
0: yeah it's pretty hot. The, um, yeah. And the
1: scene too where she's like, she draws the knife out of the meat and then she's looking at him and she says, kiss me. And it's <laughs> so like, menacing and hot it's and weird.
3: Why, yeah, the Lubitsch touch right there. Yeah. So her husband comes back very controversial, but he's dressed like a gypsy and he plays the violin very well and then Teglash is like, Huh, you're my personal gypsy now
2: they use the word gypsy a lot in yeah. that scene. Yeah.
3: That felt weird, and so did like the repetitive. Well, this is also a musical. I don't know if I mentioned that right. to add on top of it. But not really. Like, there's not a the whole wild, lot the, Yeah,
2: the barbarian. The, the, the barbarian. Oh, what
3: I'll do to that wild Hungarian. Yeah. Okay,
0: that song kind of fun because yeah. she's like, oh what I'll do I'll pound him right let him come and it's like okay this is really sexual right. you're working out your first it was racist. sexual but
3: like,
1: like some calling like I
0: don't know but I didn't know if there
3: was like some kind of you know classism and racism with like right. wild Hungarian and yeah. all that Like I don't minorism. know it felt icky I would.
2: I just wish there were more songs like that's but the only song that's more what catchy songs
0: there's like two other ones that are kind of shitty that's, that's the only one that's, that's the problem. like the Hungarian song plays a second time and like the sexual innuendo yeah comes through more because the then what I'll do third, I'm going to pound him in a different way. Yeah, (laughs) But then it goes into like the more sappy romantic songs during their like dream tryst. Mm -hmm. And um, this is like when someone says I hate musicals, I feel like they're thinking of this exact kind of like bloated technicolor era of like. Yeah. Songs that are kind of plotting and don't really have a hook, right. and like there's just nothing really going on. I know, it's I don't like minutes on end of like orchestrated. I want to
3: see like how this compares to his other musicals because he yeah. had like a f- quite a few other like musicals. So I don't know. Like I'm like, what if he sucked ass at yeah. musicals? No way. Like you know what I mean? No, no. the early
0: stuff has got to be great. Has to be than this, kind of huh?
2: Is this a Lubitsch film? Like I don't know. I think that's the question with this movie. Well, like, he
0: planned it out. He I'm assuming it. that Preminger did not come in as like, okay, I'm going to fuck with everything yeah. this beloved man. You right. know, yeah, it had to, to be. Do.
1: It was written. It felt
3: right. a little bit started. like it, with like her carrying him up the stairs, felt very much like. God, what's the other movie? Design for Living? Design for Living. Yeah. Like and then also there's a lot of like sexual innuendos which he's really good at. Ooh, there's there was there that was one, humor. That
2: yeah.
1: yeah. She, she's like when he fir- when the Hungarian first comes into the castle and she's like, "Have you ever been slapped in the face before?" and he's like, "Yes, many times. One time in Madagascar I asked for more."
0: Yeah. yeah. That
2: I, that line felt
0: <laughs> yeah. like Ludwig yeah. Okay. Like that. But also he fought for stuff like that before he died. Yeah. We're like yeah. He submitted this to whatever board of morality, uh, you know, reviewed the Hays Code stuff, and their notes are basically like add shame to this, and like she was supposed to feel bad about her adulterous desire and Didn't fret more between that stuck mm-hmm. between the two men, and he fought back and forth with them to like yeah. lessen yeah. what they wanted, which was which okay. was her sexual shame,
3: because at the the ending, it, everything played in her favor, like right. you know, her weird husband was like okay i guess you could just go and marry him i'll leave you have a great life and i think like it was it just was so right
1: nonchalant because technically <laughs> there's no real adultery because francesca is the one that is like yep. kissing it's him it's a surrogate yeah oh, you're exactly. right and Ugh. then he leaves like she's upset about it but then he leaves her before she goes back to the hungarian so there's technically nothing that she did wrong that's
0: how he gets around the haze code in this is like i'm gonna have the same actress play right. quote-unquote a different character <laughs> just, the, the ghost just do whatever of her she her wants <laughs> yeah. Will do all right. this. yeah can't get mad at a ghost
3: i don't know i didn't like hate this i actually enjoyed how bizarre it was mm-hmm. and the technicolor and you know the really dumb main song that made me feel uncomfortable and Betty Grable was great. Yeah, like, she's she got great. legs. For she days. had great
2: gowns too. Yeah, oh, very flouncy white Huge. lace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like the gaudy technicolor. It just this movie felt so inconsequential of just fluff.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a pretty like standard issue studio picture around what this time. What a strange way to end your
3: career. Right? To go yeah. out.
0: Not his fault. Like the kind of movie he pioneered was you know made obsolete, and yeah, he fought for what he could. But maybe if he was on set he could have snuck some more in that yeah. was
3: gonna do, you know? Yeah, and maybe been like, Hey, can we get some better songs in this? I mean, yeah.
2: I did read a quote from the main actor, the Douglas Fairbanks, where yes. he said the director, not Lubitsch, yeah, uh Otto, Preminger. Preminger like sucked all the fun and joy out of the film. So I'm like, I'm wondering how much of what didn't translate to the screen was like the script itself or was it yeah. like did lubitch not he wasn't able to put that like magical touch on it
3: his interpretation
2: and, was and, and we're left with something that's kind of like he wasn't there to act life. out the roles no, and that's
1: what i was
3: gonna say <laughs> yeah.
2: like
1: in that i think it was in that same interview that we were talking about earlier like when he's talking about lubitch acting out those scenes he's saying like you know all of these characters across his films like carry that same kind of like flair and they don't have it when they're not in uh Lubitsch film and that his like acting for the actors like he was communicating the intonation and like the flow of the film so I think that is a huge part of his movies so maybe
0: there's some like sex jokes in the scripts that are like for intonation and like right. accent yeah. and like without yeah. him hitting the pedal to the floor and that yeah exact note then it's kind of missed honestly
2: right. a lot of this I don't know if y'all felt this way but a lot of this felt like Zucker Brothers, like almost like Naked it's Gun. It's goofy. Yeah. Or, more like Mel Brooks almost. Like. Mel yeah, Brooks, yeah, like totally. openly silly, goofy, right. wink wink. Nut, you know.
3: It was like Mel Brooks did fairytale theater.
0: It's <laughs> kind of hard
2: to be mad at it on that yeah. level. It's kind of, yeah. like you said earlier, it's fluffy, it's fun. Yeah, yeah no, I'm not it. mad at it. Yeah. It, should, it is lacking something that all the other. Or when you're comparing it against like some of the greatest comedies ever made, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. But it it is like a great director's final movie. And you're just like, oh, something's missing here.
1: Yeah. And there were scenes that like genuinely got a laugh out of me. And I think it was because it was scenes that reminded me of like the Mel Brooks stuff. Like when he's, he's like yelling to his assistant constantly. He's like, sir, like everybody around her is crazy. And they're like, Yes, sir. You know, it's it's just like th- these kind of like absurd, like intrusive, like it reminds me of something out
2: of like Robin and Men and Tights or yeah. Spaceballs. Or I was even thinking, thinking of like donkey airplane. skin.
0: You know, I don't
2: know oh, donkey skin. <laughs> kind of
1: like fairy yeah. tale theater. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the
0: straight to VHS like Shelley Duvall fairy tale episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, like something like that. Yeah. So it was like a pleasant afternoon, the sun's still out viewing experience, but nothing I will remember as clearly <laughs> as the other three films, you know?
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Like also uh, something else I like realized too is there's like a painting. It's, I just looked it up because I couldn't remember who did it, if it was Rembrandt or not, but Leonardo da Vinci did Lady with an Ermine yeah. painting. Yeah. hmm So the fact that like all the mystique and everything in this movie is held in the, lady in ermine painting it's kind of interesting i I like the idea of a painting coming to life and holding like yeah. oh that's great a ghost yeah that was yeah. freaking cool as shit
1: and you know that actually reminded me of the doll his film from 1919 yeah which is the that movie starts with lubich standing like in a room and constructing this like little scene with a house it's like a miniature house he's like b- building the I mean it's basically like a diorama yeah with a house and then he puts these two like little figurines in the house and then it like zooms in and the figurines are people and they're like that that's the beginning of the film like it's showing that he's constructed this world so that kind of like the the play of these like inanimate Figures yeah. coming to life, like it. Re- it re- really reminded me of that film. I don't actually, see that it was good. The doll. It's only an hour long, and I saw. I saw it on YouTube. It was really good. Oh, nice. I
0: mean, my main takeaway from this whole conversation is just like if I see Ernst Lubitsch directed a movie, I'm yeah. like, I want to. I'm gonna watch see it. That. I'll yeah. check yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah wholly sold i have no like notes <laughs> this is the exact opposite of malik we're not like <laughs> i kind of like this about it but this right. other thing frustrates me and i wish he would like pull it together like no this is a guy who knew what he was doing and did yeah. it well and yeah right. basically taught the rest of hollywood how to do it yeah like him
2: yeah it is funny us picking different directors back to back yeah and i think Lubitsch is pretty universally appreciated and loved and not right it's not like a Complicated relationship with him. It's just like right. he makes really sophisticated, raunchy, out there sex romps. If
0: anything, my complicated relationship is with all these streaming services that right. uh, don't right. host his stuff. I'm you know? He made
2: movies for fucking Paramount
0: Pictures when they were like one of the only studios around. It should be, you know, it should
3: be on Paramount Plus. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, if, I mean, for starters, sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> also, would encourage everyone to listen through the end of this episode I I know most people skip over the dismount for podcasts but uh we found a novelty song about how great Ernst (laughs) Lubitsch is from the 1930s I think it's worth your time it's wonderful and next week on the podcast we are returning to the Criterion channel for another Czech New Wave film called Prefab Story also called Panel Story uh, directed by Vera Chitilova, who did Daisy's. Cool. I don't know anything about it except sounds that it's awesome. about the construction of a building uh, that people are living in before it was finished. Uh, so they're like living while people are like jackhammering and nice things around them. That
1: sounds great. Yeah, <laughs>
0: and that's on Criterion. <laughs> so uh, watch it before it disappears. And <laughs> The only uh, recourse is to pirate it off of archive.org. Yeah. Yeah. My anxiety
3: is like through the roof. Yeah,
0: it's kind <laughs> of... <laughs> nothing is safe anymore. <laughs> Attention, please, attention. We just came back from the coast. We
2: brought a big director who was California's toast. He came from Germany, and Mr. Zucker brought him fame. He went to Hollywood and revolutionized the game. He's the king of all directors. Would you like to meet him now?
0: Mr. Lubitz! Mr. Lubitz! Mr. Lubitz, take a bow! I'm gonna make a picture that will be a big surprise. We are are his his press agents, and we're here to advertise. Boy, sharpen up your pencil, star to Ballyhoo today. To
1: describe a Lubitz picture... This is what we have to say. It's colossal, tremendous, gigantic,
4: stupendous, the super special picture of the year. Marvelous. It's amazing,
0: titanic, terrific, dynamic. It has a thrill, a throb, a laugh, a tear. you
2: the Why, it'll cost a million dollars. It'll take a year to do. I use gobble Gable, Max Chevalier, and Goonow, Goonow too. It's colossal, uh-uh. tremendous, gigantic, stupendous,
4: the super special picture of the year.